Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Chris Costeldo on learning wisdom about Jesus' upside-down kingdom from the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. And so, yeah, we, we ought not turn it into a work by which we merit divine approval. Instead, it's an invitation from a Father who loves us to take Him by the hand and walk with Him. Chris Costeldo, next. Coming up, we'll take a close look at the Beatitudes, those statements of blessedness by Jesus in Scripture at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Our guest is Dr. Chris Costaldo, lead pastor at New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. He's written The Upside-Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. Pastor Costaldo, much has been written about this passage of Scripture, so why do you contribute your book? I serve as a pastor, and someone has said um, pastoral ministry is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. And, you know, these, <laughs> these last three years have... I've had a rather thin absorption rate. So I found myself um, navigating the complexities of of this time, uh, very often feeling discouraged. And while I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, I found comfort. I found hope, which led me to then preach on it. And in due course, I realized, wow, in in this moment of history, this is the word we need. You know, the, the Lord brought renewal to his church in the 16th century through Romans and Galatians in the face of clericalism and legalism. And I thought, I think today it's the Beatitudes in particular that speaks to the challenges and opportunities before us. What is it about life in 2023 (laughs) that makes the Beatitudes so applicable? Well, yeah, in this outrage culture, this cancel culture, we're we're at one another's throats. We, We sort of, you know, remove the pin from the rhetorical hand grenade, throw it over the fence, people are frustrated and they're anxious and the beatitude speaks to the range of of issues uh that we see before us so you know blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek uh, blessed are those who mourn where i serve we have more people contending with anxiety and mm. depression blessed are the peacemakers a peace that we first embrace for ourselves and then we embody it and communicate it among our friends loved ones and neighbors all of that speaks to the specific moment in which we find ourselves. Well, your, your book uh, takes a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Is, mm-hmm. is it possible to read it to us, and that'll kind of set the, uh, the stage? I have a Bible in reach, but I'm going I'm to try to recite it. So here we go. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you. So the word Beatitudes, what does what does that mean? Most of us know when we talk about the Beatitudes, we're talking about this portion in Matthew. There's also a 
shorter portion in Luke, which has that's right, chapter six, correct? Much of the same content. But what do, where did that word beatitudes come from? What, what what does that mean? Yeah, it it comes from the Greek word makarios. Sometimes it's translated happy, uh, blessed, mm-hmm. fortunate, and it describes someone who's in a relationship with God that results in life, that results in hope. It is to be, in in the context of Matthew, a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. So chapter 4, our Lord is preaching the good news. He says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand, pointing to himself. Um, When one is in relationship with Jesus, they experience all of these virtues, all of these gifts that Christ describes in the Beatitudes. And you write that they are the Beatitudes are counterintuitive and countercultural, which would go to what you said earlier, how much they are needed today. Right. Yeah. Um, and so life in this world is filled with aggression. Uh, and by the way, I'll mention the cover art that Crossway has produced for this book is just brilliant. Earlier today, I did a little video and I was sort of pointing to different elements, you know. So you have the king of this world with the sword. And, and he's he's oppressing, he's he's bringing uh, destruction. And then you have his heart, which is filled with thorns, and it's a broken heart. And it, it conveys the fact that despite his best attempts, he's, he's unable to realize the righteousness of God. Um, he has a money bag in his hand. Uh, he, he's pursuing treasure and wealth, trying to expand his presence and extend his influence. That's life in this world. Uh, Vincero, we try to conquer, and we we do it in pursuit of human glory. Um, The message of the kingdom, as expressed in the Beatitudes, however, is, as you said, entirely opposite, counterintuitive. Um, Jesus comes to us meek and lowly. He's he's gentle. He's the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious. And instead of bringing his kingdom with human strength, he is the suffering servant. Uh, it, it is ironic, it is countercultural, but it is uh, precisely how we find the wisdom of God. You, you also say, uh, Pastor Costello, that the, and I want to uh, ask you about each of them, and I know our time is going very quickly, but you say that the Beatitudes reveal idols in our lives, confront idols in our lives. It's a general question, but how, how do the Beatitudes do that? So we all lean on something. We, we all depend on some form of creation to prop ourselves up. Um, as I think of myself, for example, uh, I, I think of the, um, the statement attributed to Michel de Montaigne, the French philosopher, who said, my life has been full of terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened, which is a way of saying <laughs> you, you get so anxious about mm-hmm. the catastrophes that might befall us and, um, and you worry. You know, and, 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 and yet Scripture tells us be anxious for nothing. Um, that's an example of how we're, we're trusting in ourselves and not uh, truly casting our cares upon the Lord. The Beatitudes confronts us in those places, and it shows us a better way. It's like dredging a river. I saw a program once on mm. this. You know, they send these units down underwater, and it scrapes the bottom of the river. And uh, if... If the river had feelings and emotions, it would be crying. It's almost a violent act. But it's necessary in order for life to grow. That's what the Beatitudes do to our souls. It it cleanses us of secularity, and it prepares us to receive the good seed of God's Word.
By reading them, maybe learning them, prepares yeah. us to live the Christian life in a very real way. Establishing who we are in Christ. This is who we are. Uh, we have notions of what it means to be a faithful Christian, to be an overcomer, to use that New Testament term. And very often it means, you know, you're getting better every day and in every way, mm -hmm. stronger, more competent. I remember as a new Christian having that idea. My Christian life now in Christ ought to be one single movement upward. Um, because I have the Bible, I have the Holy Spirit, I have the church. But it's not that simple, even though sanctification is real, mm -hmm. thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but there's highs and lows. And uh, I, th I think the other image we need to consider there is of the kernel of wheat, you know, which falls to the ground and dies. Uh, and yet in that place, uh, God brings about renewal and it springs to life. That's the, the pattern. I, I use this term in the book. It sounds hopelessly esoteric, but it's a really simple and practical idea. The, U, the upsilon vector, imagine a U or a horseshoe. That's the contour of our life. We descend in humility, brokenness. We land in the valley, but God, by his grace, lifts us out by, by his mercy. So in one sense, you're saying that that is, in a sense, a pattern of the Christian life that God has established that we see in Scripture. Entirely. And I think we get that, Bill, when we think about our conversion. You know, I came to the end of myself. God saved me. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. We get that. What, what we fail to realize, though, is that that pattern marks our ongoing experience here and now, um, that, that I am always descending in one way or another in my inadequacy, in my brokenness. But even as we descend, we have the promise of Christ, lo, I am with you always. And, and in that lonely place, again, now think, blessed are those who mourn, you know, they will be comforted. Uh, I can imagine some listener now who's contending with grief. It's in that shadow that Jesus abides with us, and he illumines the darkness. So in, in a very real sense, uh, the descending, becoming, if you will, uh, broken or humbled or contrite or, or what have you, it, it's, it's necessary for it is necessary. A, a believer, it, it, a disciple. And it's, and it's normal. And, and that's the, the error that I want to expose. You know, we get down on ourselves because we don't get it right all the time. We make foolish decisions, things we've learned before we step into the same mess. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> I think the Beatitudes <laughs> would say, uh, God still loves you. This is who you are. Poverty of spirit, brokenness, accepting your limitations, but looking heavenward and saying, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. And um, set me apart despite myself. I think that's the invitation that the Beatitudes gives us. So, as you point out in your book, some may see them as the Beatitudes as a religious ladder to climb or a moral code for believers to try to follow. You're saying it's they're not that. Yeah, thank you. Um, we see it as a horizontal bar that we have to clear. And um, we... We can't, we can't possibly fulfill the injunctions, of the Sermon on the Mount, starting with the Beatitudes, you know, uh, be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh, your righteousness must, must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. We cannot do this. This brings us to the end of ourselves. And yet, uh, God gives us his spirit 
and, and in walking with Christ, we are able to realize a greater measure of that truth as sons and daughters of God. And so, yeah, we, we ought not turn it into a, a work by which we merit divine approval. Instead, it's an invitation from a father who loves us to take him by the hand and walk with him. Well, the book is The Upside Down Kingdom Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. My guest is the author, Dr. Chris Costaldo. He is lead pastor at New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. And uh, Pastor Costaldo, so I think we touched on this, but uh, how each of them begins with blessed or blessed, and then it, it, it gives the, the uh, Beatitude. And, and that word blessed, I've heard, that can mean happy, that can mean fortunate. What does it mean? Yeah. I think it means you're in a situation, a set of circumstances that reflect life, that reflect peace, that reflect the, the, the presence of God. That's what it means. Um, another way the New Testament describes it is life in Christ. Uh, that is the, the blessed life, the makarios life. And um, the only way you get there is by the unmerited favor of God, which he extends to fallen people. Uh, it's a gift, and um, and when we receive that gift, it is I'm suggesting an invitation to um, to encounter the life of Christ each and every day. Well, if we could, and and our, I think we have we have some time here. I'd like to ask you about each of these that you write about, and I realize. In one sense, it's sort of almost an impossible question, but just just maybe even a comment or uh, mm-hmm. just to give us a, a perspective on it. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You, your chapter is titled, The Poverty That Makes One Rich. Um, I, I serve in Naperville. I sometimes call it a suburb of Chicago. I sometimes call it the Achievatron. It's, mm. it's where you start preparing your child for the SAT exam at age six. You know, we, we so easily define ourselves by our successes, mm-hmm. uh, right? Norm Vincent Peale said, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe it can achieve, achievement is the, the essence of godliness. Well, it's not, and uh, in, it's just the opposite. It's recognizing our inadequacy and clinging to Christ as our only sufficiency. And then, uh, when loss becomes gain, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, that obviously is, you, you talked about how during this, this particular period of COVID and, and the pandemic and how difficult, and we've heard how difficult that is, has been for pastors, particularly for churches, and how it brought comfort and hope. And I think those are words that would strike me as someone looking at that, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Is it, is it that simple that it's, it's talking about people who are mourning the loss of a loved one? Yeah, and there are some painful situations that one doesn't get over very easily. Maybe not ever, the loss of, of, of a child, uh, a, a terminal illness, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? And I think that beatitude is cautioning us or delivering us from bitterness, and, and alienation and loneliness. It's reminding us that as, as hard as life can be, we don't experience it alone. Um, that our Father is present and the Spirit lives within and we have the church that surrounds us. Um, so we, we are able to grieve and lament and we do it as those who have a living hope. And this kind of goes without saying, almost, with these these beatitudes, these promises, if you will, are appropriated or embraced 
through faith in Christ. Yes, yes that's right. Um, back to your, your statement earlier, um, it, it's not a, uh, a something we merit. Uh, it's a gift from start to finish. And that's why we worship God, is because he sees all of our needs and provides for all of them. Well, next is uh, your chapter, Gentleness in a Hostile World, Matthew 5, 5, and Blessed are the meek, uh, my translation says, I know that uh, in, in others it says, blessed are the gentle, but for they shall inherit the earth. And obviously, meekness or gentleness, not exactly an attribute or a value, a virtue that is particularly valued at this time. Yeah, and, and just wait as we now head into this next election year. Oh, boy. Buckle up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, yeah, people, uh, even Christian people, can be like foaming at the mouth pit bulls going for the jugular of the dear soul with whom we disagree. And the Beatitudes calls us up on that. It confronts us and uh, reminds us that um, our Lord Jesus came and uh, a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. Um, that's the meek, gentle quality that you're describing. So applying that to, say, a political discussion that maybe you weren't seeking and didn't want, and there it is, how would that beatitude inform our response? Don't make it personal. You know, I, I preached last week on uh, the statement in the Sermon on the Mount about anger that will land you in the fires of hell. What's going on there? Uh, I think what Jesus is saying is we don't condemn other people. Uh, that's a sacred act that belongs to God alone. And when we condemn others, uh, we, we, in fact, invite condemnation on ourselves. And so, yeah, express differences. Be honest. Uh, speak the truth in love. But, but don't do it in an ad hominem way that um, brings other people into a place of judgment. Mm. Well, Matthew 5, 6, and your chapter, Taste and See, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I, I think most of us listening to this conversation could say, I might hunger and thirst for righteousness occasionally, but I don't know that that is really a state that I find myself in. I mean, that it feels like something we might long for or reach for, but it kind of eludes us, I think, and it, it seems like it does anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's be honest. We don't always hunger and thirst for God. So that's a great prayer. And by the way, it's one God will always answer, because you can be sure it's in keeping with his will. <laughs> if you want a prayer that you always uh, receive a positive response to in some way or another, may not come the way we anticipate. Yeah. It's it's that, Lord, deepen my appetite for you, right? You know, pray that one every day. But what is righteousness? And this is a, an interesting question. Uh, in short, there's three movements it's righteousness before God, what we call in the theological language, doctrine of justification. I'm his child on the mm -hmm. basis of Christ's work. Um, but it's also righteousness in us, the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then it's righteousness through us in society. And I think the biblical vision, and certainly what Jesus has in mind there, is that whole sweep, right with God, a renewed heart, and then like the prophets of old, bringing justice, bringing righteousness to our neighbors and friends. Is there any way to know if we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Yeah. Um, they will know our faith by our works. Works are not the basis by which we are accepted by God, but they are indeed the fruit that affirms the veracity of our confession. And so, you know, look at ourselves in a sober-minded way. Uh, what are our 
um, interests? Where do we spend our time, our resources? Uh, what do we think about in the quiet moments? That says a great deal about our hunger and our thirst. And then mercy. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, the face of mercy, the title of the chapter. And and again, not, not a virtue that, uh, I, I mean, it's kind of the opposite is, whether it's the political stage or sports or whatever. I mean, people appreciate it when it's shown to them, but yep. can you comment on that? And, and Yeah, and, think about how merciful Jesus would have been. Think of a uh, an event like the raising of, of Jairus's daughter. You know, he walks in, the family is is weeping. Um, the, there's that death wail that happens. I, I've, I've been in the hospital when a child has been taken off life, mm. life support and that wailing. And Jesus steps into that setting. And you can just imagine how his heart went out for this dear family. And he says, little girl, arise. And she did. It's That's the kind of mercy when we look on others with compassion, we see them as God sees them. And then with the resources that the Lord provides, we extend mercy to others. And then Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, seeing God. And and again, uh, I think probably anybody listening to this would say, well, I, one thing I know is I'm not pure in heart. So right. <laughs> where does that leave me? Yeah. This, this is where confession is so mm. vital. Mm-hmm. It, as Martin Luther said in his, the first thesis of his 95 theses, it's a way of life. When our Lord Jesus said, repent, he intended for all of life to be one of repentance. And so we're honest. Yeah, Lord, I don't love the things you love. Please give me your heart. Uh, cleanse and purify. And that, again, is a prayer that God delights in answering. And, and I suppose in, in one sense, it is that, that difference between, like you were just explaining, between justification and, well, sanctification, as far as positionally before God, we are pure in heart through faith in Christ, through the blood of Jesus, and yet at the same time, we are being sanctified, we are being changed into that image as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. We're always working from our acceptance, uh, not toward it. We're not seeking to secure God's favor by having a pure heart. We are instead saying, oh Lord, thank you that I'm your child by your complete and perfect grace, and now help me to behave as a child by exhibiting purity of heart. And when it says, uh, when Jesus says, for they shall see God, we, we know yeah. we'll see him when we leave earth. Is he talking about that? Eternity? I think he is, but I, I think there's a sense in which we see God now through eyes of faith. We apprehend him. You know, there's an inexplicable quality of fellowship we enjoy now by the Holy Spirit. And when our heart is pure, then the, the sky, the horizon of God's love is, is evident to us. We can sense him. And we don't always have that palpable sense. But when we're walking closely with Jesus, we can be sure that our fellowship with God will be deeper and fuller. And then peace be with you, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And they all, of course, are, apply at all times. But particularly at this time, it sounds like this one is so, in an obvious sense, relevant. Yeah, this is the gift of God. We have peace before his throne. Uh, we who are enemies, who are far off, have been drawn near. We're embraced through the father of the prodigal son who runs toward him and embraces him. And then peace with one another. The, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been eliminated. And now, as people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, 
we're able to enjoy relationship together in peace. And rather than being uh, so often, is a temptation is to be is to join in the in the outrage. But rather, Oy vey. yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And it's almost expected of you, right? I mean, you listen to some conversations, and if you're if you're not beating someone up, then you know you're out of step. Well, yeah, you are out of step, and that's the whole point. It's an upside down kingdom. It's it's a counterintuitive, countercultural calling. And then uh, we're going through these very quickly, and I thank you, Pastor Costello, for doing that. I mean, obviously, there's so much that you've written in your book, The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes, and you're giving us just a wonderful flavor for that. The last two verses, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, we, We think of of course, people through history, we think of the occasional individual in our culture, but we think of many in other countries who are can actually say this. They know that they are being persecuted. But how can we appropriate what Jesus is saying here for us in America? Yeah, we follow a crucified Savior, and he's now risen, yes. Uh, but let us not forget when Jesus confronted Saul on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, They're speaking of his body now. Uh, That's us. That's the church. And so we should not be expected when we find ourselves in the crosshairs of persecution. We do stand in in this great long legacy of prophets. And um, like the early church, I think we would benefit from seeing that as as a part of our calling and a a way in which we can bring glory to God in God in culture, in society. And indeed, it is very, in that moment when we're overwhelmed, yet still trusting the Lord, that the the light of our witness shines brightest. Toward the end of your book, and as I said, there's so much, uh, of course, that we cannot discuss, just giving some highlights, some introduction. You, You call the Beatitudes the Magna Carta of God's new world, Charter and Commission of Christ, the Magna Carta of, of God's new world. And I'm wondering, what does that mean? How can we pr- yep. appropriate that? It's a new way of living, a new ordering of life, a new society. In this world, we dominate, we're aggressive. It's a zero-sum game. One person wins and another person loses. Not in the kingdom. It, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice so that all who come to him would be saved. And um, and so in this new world, we look upon one another not as adversaries. We look at one another as objects of God's love, whom we have the privilege of serving, of supporting, and um, uh, helping to move closer to Jesus. So in terms of yourself and your church and what you've gone through, and so many have the last few years, you said you found much comfort and much hope in this passage of Scripture, in the Beatitudes, I'm wondering, can you, can you describe that, how that comfort and hope was found here? Yeah, I think for me, it had to do with, you know, what is faithfulness, maybe even success in ministry? And during COVID time, when you had, you know, one person calling you in the morning saying, you're putting people's lives in peril because you're gathering, you know, <laughs> the other person calling in the afternoon saying, in effect, you know, the fact that we have any mitigation policies uh, illustrates that we don't trust God. And you're pulling your hair out as a pastor, just trying to make mm-hmm. uh, this body united or preserve the unity. Yeah. Um, 
that's where the Beatitudes spoke to me. Look, life is messy. I am broken. We together as God's people will manifest that brokenness. And yet the spirit is working in and through us in ways that we can't even imagine. And so let's grab hold of these truths as the measure of our identity and our calling. And in so doing, I think we will radiate the hope of Christ in this world. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Chris Costaldo, pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois, and author of The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.